Bokar Tov. Bokar Tov. We're going to be uh, devoting our shurim. Uh, the, wow, wow. Our shurim are going to be uh, for Fuash Lema of Yoshua Shaul Ben Naima. El Narafanalo, El Narafanalo. The, the book of Yonah is read in Mincha of Yom Kippur. The, the goal of the class is, is going to be to try to get through the whole story. So it's going to be hard to get deep into like the... I mean, we'll obviously try to touch upon the deeper meaning behind things. But um, we're, we're going to go through the text. So obviously you should have the page open. I'm going to give you some historical context first of who this prophet was. So Yonah... Is a prophet. We do know of Yonah from somewhere else in the Tanakh. Yonah appears in one other place in Tanakh, in, in Milachim Bet, in the second book of Milachim, and he is one of the prof- He is the prophet for the king Yarovam II. Yarovam II was an evil king in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he. No, no, no. Yarovam is way earlier. This is Yarovam II. Yeravam II is the king under which Yonah is serving and in his time he actually expanded the borders of Israel but this is also just before the destruction of the northern empire which will happen a couple of kings after like a couple of years after the end of the kingship so we're reading this with the idea that the northern empire will slowly be destroyed now what would, who destroyed the northern empire of Israel? the one that he goes it's the people that we're talking about. It's the people that are the... the That's why you don't want I mean, to I don't know. The, I guess you call them the protagonists of the story or the, or the main characters in the story. These are the people that are the ones that are going to end up destroying Israel. So under, you have to understand, of course, the story of Yonah with the historical context that Yonah is a prophet who's being asked to help the enemies of Israel who will ultimately destroy Israel... He's asked to help them and he knew it. become better. And he knew and he, okay, yeah, well, that's, 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 one of the, that's one of the points here. Okay, now we'll start with the, the first pasuk. And uh, of course, feel free to ask any questions. The word of God came to Yonah ben Amitai saying. Uh, one last point before we start moving quickly in the text. The word Amitai is, a, uh, of course, is the name of his father. But there's probably some significance to it also because Amitai comes from the word Emet. Truth. So one of the, and I'll just give you like a precursor, one of the discussions in this story, one of the, the questions that will be delved into in the story of Yonah is, does God operate with, with humanity on, a, on the basis of truth or on the basis of kindness, right? So when the poor person comes up to you and asks you for, for some help, on the basis of truth, you don't really have to give him anything. Because he's not provided you a service that you want or you want to pay for, right? So when, when you want to give tzedakah, let's say, you're not operating on truth, you're operating on kindness. On something that's, extra, that's more than just the truth, you're, you're going beyond what you really have to do. If somebody provides you a service, then you're obligated to pay him money. Not if he just comes and asks you. So the whole discussion of this book is going to revolve around truth versus kindness. That's, that's going to be the thing. And, and we see it kind of in the name of Yonah, that his name is Amitai from the word truth, which kind of tells you which side he's on. He's definitely not on the side of kindness. Well, we'll, we'll see more clearly. So the, the command comes to him. By the way, can everybody hear me clearly? Go and go to the city of Nineveh, the big city, and call out to them because their wickedness has come before me. The word of Ra'atam is, comes up other places in Tanakh. 
The word ratam, here describing their wickedness, is in reference to not ritual improper behavior, not like they, they weren't keeping the Shabbat or something. It's referring to like theft, immoral, immoral behavior in, in, a civil, in a civil context. Um, you see this by the story of Noah, where we know that their problem was more civil, civil disobedience or civil impropriety, where it says, So the word ra, when it's describing bad behavior, is typically referring to civil impropriety. Okay? So Yonah, he hears the phrase, I mean, he hears a command to go to Yonah, and he gets up to run away to Tarshish. Tarshish is actually southern Spain. So it's an interesting reference in Tanakh to a, a very modern country because we don't really, in the rest of Tanakh, we don't really get a glimpse of Europe at all. <laughs> but, but, but Tarshish is modern, it's, it's actually, modern, I think it's like Gibraltar or something. Okay? So, So, so Yonah goes to run away to Tarshish. He goes down to Yafo, which was a port city. He finds a boat and he gives the money to the guys who are handling, to, to the people that are, you know, the, the sailors on the boat. And he goes down into the boat to go with them to Tarshish to run away from God or to go from before God. Obviously, one of the big questions here is why does Yonah think he could run away from the word of God? So I don't know the answer, but one of the, the rabbinic answers, which, I mean, like, it's, it's what's said in the Midrash, you could take it or leave it, uh, is that he's running away not from God, but from the prophecy. Now we have tradition that prophecy doesn't really rest on the Navi, on a prophet, unless he's in the land of Israel. The problem with that, I mean, and that's what's said in the rabbinic tradition, the problem with that is Yechezkel, the prophet, was not in Israel either. So I don't, I don't know what you do with that, but I guess they have an answer. I guess Yechezkel was special. But typically, prophecy comes when a, when a prophet is in Israel. So the typical answer is that Yonah, he left because he wanted to get away from his prophecy. Obviously, he knows he can't run away from God. And God puts a very strong wind into the, into the sea. And there was a big storm in the sea. And the boat was about to break. is like it thought to break. But it's more, like a, it's more of like a metaphor. The boat was on the verge of breaking. So the, the seamen or like the, the, the sailors, they, they become very scared and they cry each person to his God. I'm going to keep an eye out, by the way, in the text, the difference between the word Elohim and Adonai. Okay, because when you see the word Elohim, it's a very generic form of the name of God. It's going to be the, the Goyim are always talking to Elohim. Only we as Jews speak to Adonai. Okay, it's very, very rare that the Goim will speak to Adonai. So keep an eye out for what's going on there. So the, the sailors, they get very scared and they cry out each person to his God. So they threw all the unnecessary items overboard to lighten the load of the ship. And Yonah had gone into the... the, the the bottom part of the ship, and he lies down and he falls asleep. I mean, this is obviously before the storm that he goes. It's saying what he had done before. So while this whole storm is going on, Yonah is fast asleep. Now this is also a very interesting thing. That Yonah is, is sleeping. He's in the process of running away from God. You would think he's full of anxiety and he wouldn't be able to sleep. But for some reason he is able to fall asleep. Again, that's another, that's another question. Uh, so the, the chief 
the captain of the ship, the Rava Chovel, Chovel means a, a rope, right? So the way you, you handle the sea, the you, way you handle a ship is you handle the direction of the sails by holding on to ropes. So the Rava Chovel, the rabbi of the ropes, is the guy who handles the ropes, right? That's the, the captain of the ship. So So he approaches him and he says, why are you sleeping? Go call out to your God. Maybe God will consider us and we will not be destroyed. Uh, um, what is this from my brother Daniel? What is the source of the word Yit'ashet? It's the same as the word Eshtonotav. Okay, so um, he goes up to Yonah and he says, What are you sleeping? Go and call out to your God. So what's the irony of, this, of, of what's going on here? Okay. That you have a goy. How, how would he know he's even? telling? The, the, okay. irony, the irony that it shouldn't be lost on you is that you have a goy, a non-Jewish captain, telling, telling a Jewish prophet who's like the holy man of God <laughs> to pray to Hashem. <laughs> okay, so that, that's obviously you can't, you can't miss that part. What, what, yes, no, okay. Um, so he says, pray to your God so we, not, we should not be destroyed. Now, does this captain believe in Yonah's God? No, but no they, we have, what, the story, what we have here is you have a bunch of sailors, all of whom, when you're on, like these, these people who are the sailors, they all come from different places. You know, you stop in one port city, you pick up another guy, you drop off one. So it's, it's always like a very, it's a mix of sailors from different religions and different areas. And each one has his own God. So what they're doing is they're trying to just cover all bases. Yeah, that's, each that's one pray to your God and hopefully one of them will answer us. So it's like, okay, we have one guy on the ship who's not participating and helping. So get up and pray to your God. So when they say, obviously the prayers aren't working, so they say, each man to his friend, let us do lots. And we'll see, based on the lots, who is causing this destruction to come upon our boat. And they do lots, and the lot falls out on Yonah. So why would the lot fall out on Yonah? That's probably God making sure the lot works out. Because these lots are a pagan ritual. It's not yes. a Jewish thing. We also, where, where else do we see the lots? It's by, by Purim. Haman also, so it's a very, it was a common pagan thing to use lots in order to determine things. That's actually forbidden in the Torah to do these kinds of things. But they did it. And because God obviously had wanted them to realize it was Yonah, the lots did actually fall out on Yonah. So... Um, so they tell him, uh, what is this bad thing coming upon us? What, what do you do for a living? Where do you come from? What's your land? And which nation are you from? And uh, the, 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 it's funny that they ask him what he does for a living. So, so, they're, they're true, but they're one, of, one of the ideas, one of the, per, one of the, the in, interpreters said that they were concerned that maybe he's like, um, he's like a money launderer or like he's like a thief or, he does, or he's involved in some like occupation of ill repute that's causing him to, to be punished and, and whatever. So, so uh, but they ask him for his, his background because clearly he's the one at fault here. Anybody know the song? It's a famous song that comes from this. Ivria, yeah, exactly. So it comes from Yonai. You don't know the song? It's a famous song. Very overplayed. Okay. Ivria Anochi, I am a Hebrew. Vet Adonai. Now listen, listen, listen to the words carefully. Vet Adonai, Elohe Hashamai Maniare. 
I fear Adonai, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. So you could tell that the, the, this text is being very, very specific with the usages of the word Adonai and the word Elohim. Because here, when they respond, when they ask him, what nation are you from? Who do you serve? He says, I serve Adonai Elohei Hashemayim. So the, it's, it's very important to realize that, that they are being specific when they're talking about the, their respective gods. And Adonai is the proper name for, for Hashem. So he said, I serve God. Who makes the water and the dry land. And the reason he's pointing that out is that he's saying he's the one who's controlling the water and the sea, which is currently being tumultuous. Okay? So they become very scared. And they say to him, And then the people become very scared. And they say, What did you do? Because now they understood that he was running away from Adonai, a God that they only knew in passing, right? They don't really know, have an intimate recognition of God, of Hashem, of Adonai. But now that they hear that Adonai is the God who's upset, they're like, oh no, Adonai is one of the serious ones. So now they're scared. So they say to him, what should we do to you? And they say, what should we do that the water will be quiet? Because the water kept going and it was, and it was getting very, very scary. So he says to them, take me and throw me into the water. And then the water will quiet itself, will calm down. Because I know that it's because of me that this storm is coming upon you. What is Yonah's intent here, by the way? Does Yonah have any idea that he's going to be swallowed up by a fish and saved? No, suicide. So it seems like it's suicide. Which shows you how distraught he was about his mission. I mean, we, we think like, like, like being a prophet is an easy, it's an easy task. It's actually the worst poss- possible task you could ever have. I mean, I mean think of throughout all the prophets, first of all, throughout all of Melachim, all of the, if, you, if you study Tanakh, prophets were routinely killed. They were pursued and hunted down and killed. Because they were always coming, they were always clashing with, with, with power structure, power centers. So it's not a fun job to be a prophet. Especially when he's in a position where he has to prophesy to the, to the ill fate of his own people. So obviously we see the kind of dis- distress he's in that he's almost just wishing himself to die. So it actually goes back to the first pursuit when he said Ben Amitai. He's like the, 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 you know, the, he tells the truth even when people don't want to hear it. It's, uh, right, that could be an indication of his prophecy. was probably because he knew that the people that he has to save are going to destroy Israel. Probably. That's what was bothering him. I, I think it's more than... I, I, he may not have had a prophecy that they would, they would have destroyed Israel yet. So even as a prophet, he doesn't necessarily know that Assyria is going to be the responsible for destroying Israel. But he does know that Assyria is not our friend. Yes. So it's just annoying for him. Yes. Like, I have to go and help these people. Okay. So these people are actually, the sailors are actually very good here. So they try very hard to row back to the dry land and they couldn't do it. Because it was stormy and it was getting, it was very tumultuous. And, and the fact, and the text is telling us this because it wants to show that these sailors were actually good men. That they didn't just throw him into the water the second he said yes. They really, really, really tried to get back to the dry land. So now they call out to Adonai. Now these sailors who are non-Jewish, who were serving Elohim before, are now calling out to the God Adonai. 
So they call out the Adonai and they say, Anna Adonai, alna no veda Let us not be destroyed because of the life of this man. Do not give us blood, uh, innocent blood. Because you, God, as you wish, you are doing. So what are they saying here? They're saying, we are about to throw this man into the water. Please do not hold us accountable for the innocent blood that we are about to spill. Uh, question for um, Torah readers. Where else do we see this exact, almost this exact pasuk? This is when they have the elders define the dead pasuk. Yeah, Giacomo got it. It's, it's by the elders of the Egla Rufa. So yeah. a, a, just a quick synopsis of what that was. If you find a dead body in the land of Israel and you don't know who the murderer is, so the elders of the neighboring cities have to come and basically wash their hands over the dead person. I mean, it's a whole process, but they have to proclaim out loud that we were not responsible for this man's death. And it's a way of kind of absolving the surrounding cities from any culpability for unknown deaths that happen in their vicinity. So um, these people are actually, the, the, the pasuk is, is drawing from the way that those elders speak about the dead in that story of, of of that Eglarufa to kind of show where the mindset of these sailors are, where, where their mindset is. Their mindset is, we do not want to be culpable for this guy's death. And then they throw him into the water, and lo and behold, the water stops its, its anger. Now they fear God greatly. Now all of a sudden, the sailors, they start fearing Adonai. So they bring Korbanot for Hashem. And they bring vows. Did they actually bring a korban on a boat? <laughs> so, so one of the perushim said they, they made the promise that they yeah, would bring, they, bring yeah. they would bring a korban. It would be very difficult to bring a, 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 a sacrifice on the boat during during the storm. Right, the vayidurun the darim is saying that they plan to bring the korbanot. Okay, Now this is the second chapter. God had prepared a. Big fish for Yonah. <laughs> and he, he is in the stomach of this fish for three days and for three nights. And then, and then Yonah prays to his God, to Hashem. Finally. Yeah, he prays from within. Right, and, and we see for the first time, Yonah is actually contending with God as opposed to fleeing. Right, and it took a lot. It took a lot to get him there. But um, obviously, the point of this fish is to kind of cause Yonah to develop as a prophet or to get to a place of readiness to deliver his prophecy. So, what is this tefillah that he's about to do? This is actually, probably, according to the simple meaning of the text, it's a prayer of thanks. Because he, again, was intending to die, and instead, he gets saved by this fish. So, at the tail end of the three days that he's in the fish, he turns to God in a prayer of thanks and, uh, sh- and shows, shows God his appreciation for keeping him alive. Okay? So, Bayomer, I'm going to read a little bit quickly. It's, all, it's, it's poetic. It's, it's, it's very beautiful. It's very poetic. It's tefillah, uh, where he talks about God's greatness and God's, all, his God, God's omniscience and omnipotence and everything. But uh, I'm going to read it quickly. He said, I called when it was, it was difficult for me to God, and he answered me. From the stomach of the depths, I, uh, I cried out, and you listened to my voice. Uh, someone help me here. You cast me into the depth 
in the heart of the sea, in Ahari Sobaveni, and the, the waters were surrounding me. Kol Mishbarecha Vegalecha Alayavaru, all your waves, and the Mishbarecha is another word for waves. It just, yeah. mean, it just means crashing waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It comes from the word Lishbor, to break. Yes. So as a wave crashes, it's it called a Mishbar. The, the, the wave break. Okay, yeah, so Kol Mishbarecha Vegalecha Alayavaru, they came upon me. Vani Amarti, Nigrashi Meneged Ainecha, and I had said that I had been completely. Uh, uh, um, Removed from before your eyes, ah, osif But I will actually now have an opportunity to see your holy abode again. Meaning, he's saying, I knew I was destroyed, I was done for. But now, actually, I'm going to have an opportunity to see your holy abode again, which is very, he's very excited about. Afafuni maim ad nefesh, the water surrounded me till they were about to take my life. Tehomi sobeveni, the depth surrounded me. Sof, suf chavush leroshi, the reeds were wrapped around my head, meaning like he's just getting like. Engulfed by seaweed and stuff. Yeah. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. I don't really know what, what, what he's saying here, if anybody can help. Um, they had this conception of the world as like sitting on, on some beams. So, uh, my. my um, my life was, was dangling or brought my life from up, it, my, my life came up from, from, the, from the pit it's all very poetic praises of God and thankfulness when my soul was wrapped around me I remembered God and, now, and my tefillah came before you my prayer came before you to the holy abode the people who cling to foolishness are leaving goodness. This is like a this very this beautiful pasuk. It's actually a, a bit, um, it's hard to know what the pasuk, how to translate the pasuk. It's, it is a, a bit ambiguous, but I'll translate it as the people who cling on to wastefulness are leaving goodness. This is part of like the, the, the theme that we always discuss that the Torah force, forces a person to kind of cling to meaningful, a meaningful existence. As opposed to clinging on to superficial, uh, superficial existence and emptiness. And me, in a voice of thanks, I'm going to serve you. Whatever I promise, I will pay. Uh, salvation from God. Uh, by, by the way, there, some, some of the commentators say this is actually a knock on the sailors. Because he heard them making promises to God that they're going to bring Korbanot. And he says... I doubt they'll actually bring it. But then he's saying, I'm going to bring, I, I will fulfill my, my uh, promise to bring whatever korban that I promise. Seems like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because look, look at the next passage. God tells the, the, the fish and he spits Yonah out into the the dry land. The Tashin itself says that the, the, the Leviathan, this big fish, was created, was one of the, was created during the time of... Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they learned from the word. So, so the idea... Way, no? I'll, give you, I'll give you the background on what you just said. The Mishnah, I think, in Pirkei Avot says that this fish was actually created during the six days of creation. creation. Kind of in What's preparation this? specifically for this story. Now, why they say mm-hmm. that, why this Midrash says that, if you look at the text, it's because it says, and God prepared a fish for Yonah. The Pasuk would have said or should have said, and a fish came and swallowed Yonah. 
Right? But it says, and God, it doesn't have to tell us, like, obviously, if, if a fish comes and swallows you or not, it's God's. Never, never really see specifics about Hashem because we're right. doing so something. God had specifically prepared this fish. So from there, the rabbis took it and said, oh, this must have been a fish that was specifically made for Yonah. That's why when you look at the, it, it, this, is, this fish is one of the things on the list of things that, special things that ben God Shmashor. created ben Shmashor. Shmashor. in the six days it's of creation. Between sundown to sun, right. until Shabbat. Okay. Crazy. Now, round two. So one now, okay, so, so what has been happening so far? I so thought it was Yonah. a whale all the time. I thought it was a whale. So it's yeah, it was well, a whale. It's I mean, it's, not, it's some big fish. We don't, I mean, whatever fish could hold a person in. Well, you see the giant with the blue, the whales. You know, when I was a kid, they used to, like, we used to watch these videos. I always used to think about you know those videos like National Geographic where they show the whale's mouth opening <laughs> and how big it is? I was always thinking like a human could definitely just go in all the way. Oh, sure. And, go to, and, go, go and, to the and, museum, like, the Natural History Museum. You'll see the size of the whale. They're, yeah. They're I mean, I, by, by the way, I'm not going to... There is a whole debate on t- the historicity of this story and to what extent it's literal that the guy yeah, actually was sitting in, in the whale's stomach for three days. This is all... I, I'm not going to get into the debate. It is a very large debate and it's very hard to answer and discuss. Um, but clearly, the message here is that the whale kind of represents a turning point in, y- in Yonah's life. He starts off being reticent and not wanting to do the will of God for whatever reason. He goes into the whale, he kind of realizes God's strength and God's power. And he turns. And then once he realizes God's dominion over him, he changes his attitude. And now, round two, he's ready. We have to return to our So Jack Mo saying is that what do we learn from the whale? That we each in our lives, we have, we, we have moments where we have lack of clarity and we don't want to turn to God. And sometimes God puts a little bit of pressure on us. And then we learn from the difficulty and we come out with our mindset shifted. And then all of a sudden we're ready. We, we're now ready to change our mindset and to live in a bit of a different way. So that, that we, could, we each go through our... Oh, and by the way, um, there is a Midrash that says that the whale was a female, was a female whale. And one of the reasons... There's a Midrash that says that he was swallowed up by a male and then a female. It comes from the fact that the text changes the... the, the, the yeah, it goes from dog to, da, dog to daga. But, but the idea behind it, I think the depth behind it is that the female, the womb of the female is always, has always very, very deep metaphoric significance in that it's a place of gestation and preparation for, a little, for the development of a human being. So the fact that he was in a female whale is like, he's like a baby. He's like a baby. Yeah, he's developing the same way a baby develops and, and, and uh, comes to full form in the mother. So he's like in a female whale and he's coming out a completely changed being. So that, that seems to be the, the deeper significance of the whale. Um, but now, of course, Yonah is ready. So so God says second time to Yonah, Go to Nineveh, the big city, and call out to it. The calling that I'm going to tell you to call. So he goes to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a huge city. The diameter was a three-day journey. One of the biggest cities. Yeah. So Yonah begins to go to the city, one, one day into the city, meaning he's in like the middle of the city where it's most populated. And he calls out and he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 days also has a lot of significance in the Torah because it's every time Moshe goes up 
days. It's 40 days. Uh, um, where else in, in Malachim? In uh, Malachim is 40 days used by one of the prophets. 40 days by somewhere by Eliyahu and Abi. Whatever, we see 40 days very often. Right? It's, it's some kind of time that appears in Tanakh over and over as some, some major shift happens, can happen within 40 days. Okay? So he says, In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. So they believed in Elohim. The people of Nineveh, they start thinking and believing in Elohim. And they called a fast and they wore a sackcloth. From their eldest to the youngest. And the word gets to the king of Nineveh. He gets up from his chair. And he takes off his robe, the robe of glory that a king would wear. He wears sackcloth and he sits on ash. He cries out and he says to Nineveh, Vayazek could also mean he gathered the people. So he, he gathers the people and he cries out. And he says to Nineveh, Mitama Melech Ugdolav Lemor. From the seat of the king, meaning the, the king is now making an announcement, the king and his noblemen make the following announcement. Man, animal, uh, uh, cattle, and sheep should not eat anything. They should not graze and they should not drink. And they should wear sackcloth. Man and animal. And they should call out to God with strength. And each man should return and do teshuvah from his bad ways. And from the Hamas is a reference to, to theft and monetary uh, impropriety that happens within society. And the, and the, the ill-gotten gains that are in their palms. That would be like the best translation. So you see how... I mean, in modern day, we'd call it OD, right? Like, like they're making the animals and the babies fast. They're, making, they're not letting animals eat anything. They're putting sackcloth on animals. And you have to just think and compare what did Yonah say to them? How many pages and pages of prophecy decrying the actions of Am Yisrael do you find in books like Yeshaya, Yirmiyah, and Yechazkel? And then how many words does Yonah say to, to the people of Nineveh? Five words. And not only do they do Teshuvah, their, their animals are doing Teshuvah also. So, but um, I read an interesting, an interesting commentary. It's, it's very, it, it makes a lot of sense in the, in the modern, based on what we see today. Yonah's strategy or the strategy for getting Nineveh to actually do such a large scale Teshuvah was because his speech was so short. <laughs> because he said, oh, If you would have gone and did a whole like Megillat Esther <laughs> and would have started crying at them the way Yeshaya does, there's no way. Because, because you see, the text does a very good job of showing how the word kind of like travels. And all of a sudden, everybody's like whispering to one another, oh, Each person is telling it to his friend until the word gets to the king. It's a catchphrase. 
It became a catchphrase. And that's how it got to the entire people of Nimrud. Obviously, he couldn't speak loud enough. It was 100,000 people in the city. Because There's no way he could have spoken right. away that yeah. people would have listened other than through a catchphrase that would have caught on. Uh, to be honest, the reason I think it's, it's, it's relevant today is because I think modern-day progressives are very good at this. It's like, like Black Lives Matter. Obviously, Black Lives Matter. But these, they make these phrases and then everybody it catches on and everybody's just saying it without even understanding the significance. I mean, Lehabdil, because Yonah was doing it for a good reason. But, um, but, but, these, but these, these, these catchphrases, they are, they are good. They, they work. You know, people do these things. Uh, and, and they catch on. Um, and slowly it got to the king. Sorry, I injected my politics into it. <laughs> I, I can't avoid it. Okay. Um, but, okay, now this is the most important pasuk of the entire, of the entire book probably. Um, pasuk 9. Who knows? Maybe God will return and he will feel bad. And he'll return from his anger. And we won't be destroyed. And then, And the God sees their action. That they return from their bad behavior. And God uh, reconsidered the bad that he was about to do to them, and he did not do it. Okay, what's the most important thing about that pasuk? What, what's the, the key? So, so the, the Nineveh people, they did two things. What are the two things that they did in order to return and do Teshuvah? They fasted, they were sackcloth, they did the physical, the the external behaviors, and then they changed their behaviors. And then what does the Pasuk say? God saw the actions that they had changed their wicked ways. If you know the Haftarah that we studied on Friday, by the way, we studied Haftarah on Friday, which was the morning of Kippur, because this this is the afternoon of Kippur. The whole point of that Haftarah is to tell you that the day of fasting isn't the point. You're not fasting just because fasting does something. You're not going to get anywhere just by, by not eating for 24 hours. The point is to, is to recognize, that the point is to, to be honest, the real, the, the real, if you want to get into the depth of what a fast is, it's to show that we are trying to, to uh, like calm down our physical desires because our desires are what causes us to sin nine times out of ten. So by, st- by staying away from the most basic of human temptations, which is eating, we're kind of showing that we want, we want to control our desires. But, but the point is then for the fast to actually have that effect on you and for you to actually change your behavior. Right? So that's what God sees in the return of Nineveh, which is why we read this. One of the reasons we read this Haftarah is because it's so clearly displayed that it's not about the fast, it's about the behavior, the changing of the behavior. Okay? Now we go to the next chapter. So now this really bothers Yonah. And it, and it gets under his skin. It's like, it, it's like a, he's very angry about it. This is what I, I said. This is what I was saying when I was still back on my land. This is why I ran away from Tarshish. Because I knew that you are a, a, a kind and merciful God who is slow to anger and who does a lot of kindness and, and reconsiders doing bad to people and he, and he forgives badness. So, why is he upset? Um, it's hard to say why he's upset. So, you could say the, the theory we've been saying the whole time that he's upset that he was, he was kind of hoping for them to fail. 
because Nineveh is not our friend. So he's kind of hoping them for, to, for them to fail, and they don't fail, and they don't and they succeed. On top of that, um, he's concerned that it looks bad for Am Yisrael. Because Am Yisrael, especially if you know the historical context of, of Yonah, he was prophesying at a time when the Jews were awful. I mean, this was like a terrible time. Yerobam II was not a good time for the Jewish people. So if the Jews are misbehaving, and Nineveh is all of a sudden the righteous kingdom, it doesn't really look good. It's a bigger problem. Another, another theory that I was thinking of this morning, take it or leave it, but whenever they do Teshuvah, do they serve Adonai or do they serve Elohim? The people of Nineveh. They're serving Elohim. So it's not clear that these people let go of their idol worship. It seems like they're scared of one God who was coming and claiming that he would destroy them and they cleaned up their behavior without affecting any of their ritual you know, uh, traditions that they, were, that they had or the, ritual, the, the behaviors on the ritual side of things. So I have a theory that perhaps this may be, I mean, take it or leave it. It's a very like a modern theory and it, it could be, you could say it's not, it doesn't make sense, but, but maybe the goyim are not really expected to have to have the correct theological dogma. We, like, um, in Christian thought, if a Jew doesn't believe in Jesus, he's done. He's not, he's not going to be redeemed. In Jewish thought, I don't know if it's so clear that a Jew has to even, that a non-Jew has to even believe in our God as we conceive him. As long as they behave well and live with dignity and kindness, that's what, it's good enough. Now, Yonah being the truth type may not recognize this. And he wants them to, to become servants of Hashem. But they're just not. For, just for they're just good people. They're not servants of Hashem. Maybe. I mean, that's just a theory. You take it or leave it. You take it from the, from the word, from the, from the fact that they did Teshuvah, returning to Elohim, which is not Adonai as we conceive him. Okay? Uh, but, he, but Yonah is clearly very upset. Take my life from me because my death is better than my, than my life. So God says, is it really bothering you? Is it bothering you really bad, really greatly? So Yonah goes and he leaves the city and he dwells east of the city. Okay, two seconds ago I realized what, what this pasuk is saying. Who, who dwelled east of the city? Wasn't it, wasn't it Lot? And his... Um, whenever, whenever Lot sees the destruction of Sodom, he goes, I think, doesn't he go east or something? And he finds a city to dwell in? Okay, so, so the, I, I know the, the, the commentaries do say that he's sitting outside the city waiting for them to fail. That's what the commentaries do say. That he's sitting there hoping that they fail because Yonah doesn't want them to succeed. He, he obviously doesn't, doesn't like the implications of that. Okay, so... Um, Look up, um, look up uh, the word Mikedem in, in Bereshit. See where it comes up. I have a hunch that it appears after the destruction of Sodom somewhere. Because that would make a nice parallel. He could also be just concerned about his own life. If he goes back to that king, Yerobam, and all of a sudden then they, their biggest enemy, is, is now on God's good side. And on God's good side, they're going to be like, what did you do? Like, we're going to kill you. Good point. But if he goes back and he's like, yeah, I destroyed the invade for you guys, he's a hero. And this is why he's sitting east of the city and he's not going back to Israel. Because he refers to Israel as my land. Where, where did he say it? He says, this was what I was thinking when I was still on my land. Meaning he sees his homeland as Israel. So the fact that he goes east of the city and just dwells there is something we should take note of. It's a good point. 
I like it. He's probably scared to go back. So now he's kind of in this awkward position. He doesn't want to live in Nineveh, but he also doesn't want to go back home. And he's just in no man's land, and he's very scared. So, so it's a very nice theory. Okay? Um, is it really that bothering you that much? So he goes out and he dwells east of the city. So he goes, he makes himself a sukkah. Right, this is a reference to Sukkot. I don't know. I don't think it's a reference to Sukkot. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but a Sukkot is just, he probably made himself like a, a little hut with like sticks. Now, the hut was probably not the best shade from the sun. Okay, because we'll see that. Yes, the continuation. It, well, from the continuation. So it's probably some hut, that he, like a makeshift hut that he built for himself that he just put like sticks on top. And it was kind of blocking the sun, but not doing such a good job. So he makes himself a, a hut and he sits under it in the shade until he sees what would happen to the city. And again, the commentary say he wants to. He's hoping that they fail. There's only four mechanisms. Uh, there's in, uh, there's it jumps, jumps straight to Yonah. It's Avraham Avinu. It's a Gan Eden with with Adam Rishon. There's no reference. Okay, never mind. I was wrong. I mean, Adam and Chava when they get kicked out of of Gan Eden, they they go east. So think of a connection. I don't know. It's on you. By man, where are we? Vayman. So the word Vayman comes up again. We said we saw the word Vayman by the fish. Okay. So keep in mind this word Vayman is is a key word. There are a lot of key words that you should be recognizing. Obviously, we can't go into all of like the the the, the themes of the story because we're going to, we're trying to finish. But the themes. Notice that there's a lot of going down into the depths. That's a, that's a big theme. So it could represent the fact that. As low as we go, God has the power to bring us up. Sure. Then there's a lot of theme of ha'ira gedola. You see the word big, dagadol, uh, ira gedola. There's a lot of bigness in the story. I don't know. I don't really know what that represents. And then we see a recurring theme with the word vayman that God prepares things. Like God prepared the fish. Yeah, now he's preparing. And this kikayon is like some kind of plant that's very good with shade that, that provides good shade. It's, uh, it goes and it provides shade for Yonah to save him from badness happening to him. And Yonah gets very, very happy because of this kikayon. Very strange, to be honest. It's, just very, it's a very strange text. Not going to lie. Um, and it's very vague. But you could do with it. We'll try to analyze it afterwards. It's just a plant that gives him shade. Yeah. And then God prepares. God prepares. A, in, a worm when the morning comes and it, it, it uh, smote the kikayon and now and the, and the, kikayon, the kikayon dried up and obviously it, it withered away now that happened early in the morning so now as the sun comes out so God brings a very intense eastern wind is always like a bad wind they had in, in the ancient conception of winds, the eastern wind was like the dark wind. It was like the, the one that used to bring the sickness, you know? Coronavirus came from the eastern wind. From, uh, whatever. Um, it did, actually. <laughs> it did. Okay. Um, maybe it's because... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Uh, so the sun went on Yonah's head and he was about to faint. And he said, I want, I want to die. My death is better than my life. He's not in a good mood, clearly. So God says to Yonah, Is it really that bothersome to you for this kikayon tree? 
This bothers me intensely to the extent that I want to die. And now the story finishes. You cared and it bothered you so much for this tree, this kikayon plant, that you didn't work on it and you didn't grow it because God is the one who He prepared it. That one night was around and one night it, was, it went away. And me, I shouldn't feel sorry for the city. I shouldn't care for the, for the city of Nineveh. That there are more than, uh, I don't know, uh, 12,000? What is that? 120,000? 120,000? Yeah, Rebo is 10,000. So 120,000 that doesn't know, that don't know between the right and the left, meaning like young people who aren't even there, and many animals. And that's, that's the end of the story. That's the end of Yonah. So the story leaves on a question. The question that God poses to Yonah is, if you cared so much for this plant that you, didn't, that you did nothing to create, you think me, for the city of Nineveh, I shouldn't care about them and worry about them and, and hope for their success. And this is where we see, and now we're going to, let's analyze the story at large to see what we take away from it for Yom Kippur. The first thing we see here is that if Yonah represents the truth and Yonah is the Amitai, he's the one who clings to the truth and he wants people to get what they deserve. And he wants, according to my theory, the people who don't serve God to be destroyed under any circumstance, even if they're good people in their behavior. And God said, God on the other hand, he's the creator of these beings. God put effort into the creation of these beings. He doesn't want them to be destroyed. And if God doesn't want even a city who is the enemy of his own people to be destroyed, all the more so us on Yom Kippur, we shouldn't be approaching the day with the trepidation that God is looking to destroy us. We approach Yom Kippur as a day with excitement that God is incentivized to accept our tefillot and accept our, and our, accept our pleas. That's really the, the major theme, is that even for a city like Nineveh, God is not a God of truth. He's a God of kindness. And that's what Yonah couldn't bear. He didn't understand, he couldn't appreciate a world in which God, He is kinder to the people than what they really deserve. And Yonah sits there and he waits outside the city, hoping for the city to be destroyed. And God teaches him one last lesson. He says, no, no, no. I care for these people. Why are you waiting for them to be destroyed? I want them to succeed. So that, that's one clear element. Of course, the other element of the story is that when God accepts the teshuvah of the people, he's accepting their teshuvah that their change of behavior was what really sealed the deal. It wasn't the sackcloth. It wasn't the, the external... Those things are, are means of preparing us mentally. They mean something. They try to get us into the right mindset. But they're not the end all. I mean, unfortunately, people, I mean, people who are less initiated, they, they know less and they study less and prepare less for Kippur. It becomes almost like a chore. And then the fast and everything, they, because it, there's no real, it's just external behavior. They get it over with and they move on. I mean, it, we all do that. They're like, well, who, who's not excited for the fast to end? But the fast, again represents fasting, represents our ability to control our physical desires. It is our physical inclinations, our, our bodily side, which causes us to sin so often. And it is through fasting, which we are trying to clamp down on that and press it down to show that 
we want to live above the physical. We want to be more than just physical creatures. Um, finally, the last thing we see is that Yonah keeps going in, into the depths. He goes down into the Sheol. Sheol is a reference, it, it has dual meaning in Tanakh. It represents the depths of the sea, but it also represents like, in a way, hell or, or the world of death. And Yonah goes all the way there. And just like Chana, who we read last week, Chana prays to Hashem and, and God raises her up from the depths, Yonah is also saved from the depths. He's saved from the bottom. It's not, it's not a coincidence that he's saved from the bottom of the ocean, from the Sheol, from the depth and from near death, from calamity. And that shows that God, the Almighty God, has the ability to take care of us and to ra- ra- bring us up and to save us even from the darkest and most dangerous scenario. So that's a little bit of Yonah. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, now we can take it and appreciate it more tomorrow when we read it. Uh,